This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head to toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do, and Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style, plus their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-B-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chale. That's mintmobile.com slash chale. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chale. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Coming up on today's show, I'm going to predict winners of the three title fights at this weekend's UFC. I'm also going to tell you why I think Jake Paul won't be prepared for Ben Askren. Also, you ready for it? I'm going to defend Paulo Costa. But on today's episode, I want to begin with something that caught my eye last week. Joe Rogan came out, he was talking about why he thought Conor McGregor lost to Dustin Poirier. And first off, Joe was stating the inactivity, which is exactly the conclusion that Conor himself came to within two minutes of leaving the octagon that night. And he's right. And it's not just the inactivity between that fight with Dustin and Conor's prior fight against Cowboy. 
It's not. It goes all the way back to Khabib because the cowboy fight was only 40 seconds. And you get a lot out of those 40 seconds, by the way. You have a full training camp. You have travel. What's it going to be like to sleep on the road? What's it going to be like to get to the arena, do all of the stuff, decompress through the commission? But you don't get the ring time. I mean, I worry about that with other guys. I'm, I'm starting to think that that could be a real thing with Francis Ngannou. And I think that's going over everybody's head. But Francis is in a very similar spot to Conor McGregor in terms of minutes in the octagon. Because we don't have minutes with Francis. We have seconds. Are you guys realizing that? Are you realizing how fast Francis is stomping people out? Now, Francis is in a good spot. He's still training. He's still making weight. He's still going out there. He's still got the eye of the tiger. He's still dealing with the nerves. There's a lot of positives that don't equal your complete basket of ring rust. I just bring for you that Connor is not using an excuse. Neither is Joe for Connor, and neither am I for Connor. That's a real thing that we were all wondering. How long can you take off before you drop off? That's the big question. Joe was also talking about Connor and how big he was. And that pulling down to 55 was a very difficult thing. I spoke to another gentleman at the UFC who was there in Fight Island who told me that that whole fight week felt a little different observing Connor. So what do you mean? He goes, well, he came into the hotel. He had his whole family with him. Every day, he never separated from the family. He was playing with the kids and he was being seen. It was just one of these things where it didn't look like the same tension that you could cut with a knife feeling the energy of a typical Connor fight. In addition to, you know, the whole town not being the Irish and the flag, it just felt different. And when the whole thing was done, Connor put out a tweet that said, no more Mr. Nice Guy. And the UFC official telling me the story thought that's what he was referring to. This whole, hey, Mr. Nice Guy, being there for everybody, giving time to everybody, doing every media interview requested, doing every photo with everybody, playing the hide and seek and the tag. It was just one of these things that that person who shared this information with me thought that that's what Connor was referring to within that tweet. Joe's right. And Joe doesn't get some kind of an award. He's Captain Obvious on this one. He stated the obvious, but he's right. And there's so many things that are obvious that are right in front of our face, but we don't see them or the athlete doesn't see them. I feel as though Connor is very aware. Joe also talked about the, the damage done by the calf kick, and that calf kick is created because Connor has the wide karate stance. He puts weight on that, Dustin uh, studied I got the whole thing. But these are also mistakes that I believe are very unlikely to happen in the rematch. And Connor looked terrible against Poirier by Connor's standards. Connor looked like a top fighter in the world to me. He looked terrible by Connor's standards. That's different. That's different. Having a bad night is different than now all of a sudden you're a bad fighter. And I got my first glimpse of it when Connor got taken down. I mean, there might as well have been a banana peel in the ring. That was not a takedown attempt. That was never meant to take Connor down. That was meant to close the distance. Nobody was more surprised Connor fell down than Dustin Poirier, let alone that Connor stayed there. Nobody was more surprised than Poirier. That was not Poirier's intent. I bring that to you. Because that's the other side of the coin people are forgetting. You can break down all of the problems that Connor had, and you can even come to a reasonable belief that we're not going to see those problems happen again. But if you then deduce that Connor's going to flip the script and beat Poirier, you're missing what Poirier got out of that fight. Okay, so that's just something I wanted to weigh in on, but now I want to turn my attention to Saturday's UFC 259 to give you my official predictions, beginning with the 205-pound main event, Jan Blahovich versus Israel Adesanya. I'm going Adesanya. Guys, I just think that speed matters. I'm very confident in who the better fighter is in terms of who can do more and who is more dynamic. I don't... As a principle, believe that that makes you more effective or going to make you the victor. Look, quick story, guys. Share this with you before, but let me remind you. When I first came up, I came through Team Quest. Team Quest was owned by Dan Henderson and Randy Couture. And before it was called Team Quest, it was called Performance Quest. And it was an actual physical location. It was a beautiful family gym. Like a small, you know, think of a 24-hour fitness except Ma and Pa owned. And Ma and Pa were named Dan and Randy. So they turned the ballet, the aerobics room, they matted that out, 
hung up a couple of heavy bags, and that's what was Performance Quest, went on to be Team Quest. And there was only like five or six of us, so that was plenty of room. But those five or six guys were either fighting in Pride, fighting in the UFC, fighting in Abu Dhabi, or representing the country at the Olympic trials. So it was four or five pretty rough guys, but there was no belt system. And I remember Randy Couture explaining this, and he was saying, "Our we are on a quest for performance, meaning do you win or do you not? I don't care who's got a black belt. I don't care who's mastered Taekwondo and Aikido. I want to know if you and you go mac, uh, match up a mano a mano, who's going to win? I just That's all I want to know. As simple of an idea as that sounds to you right now, that was a very foreign phenomenon at the time. I mean, the Bruce Lee and the Chuck Norris, which was bowed to you and my father says, and all this honor that we knew of martial arts, we only knew from Hollywood. There was no actual martial arts. So this was a big deal when you couldn't get two karate guys, uh, you couldn't get a karate guy and a Taekwondo guy to train together. It, it would be blasphemy. You just, you couldn't get a judo guy to go get rounds uh, with a boxing guy. Just when it happened, you picked your own. So Randy Couture really was ahead of things when he said, the only quest I, I want to know about and the only result I want to know is who can beat who. However you're going to get that done within the rule set you're fighting under, fine with me. But I still want to know who can beat who. Now, the reason I bring that to you is just because I am saying that with my eyes, Adesanya can do more and is flashier and trickier and can keep you guessing and can hurt you in more ways with more weapons. I'm right about that, but I, I'm not the guy that then argues that that's who's going to win. I also grew up through the Mike Tyson era where having a hook with one hand and an uppercut with the other, letting everybody in the world know three months ahead of time, these are the only weapons you're going to use and going out there and putting down man after man showed you that it's really about the performance, right? Not how much do you know, but when I do watch Adesanya, look, I think that Adesanya is going to bring a lot of problems to the light heavyweight division, particularly with speed. And this is an experiment. Right? This is going to be an experiment where a guy in Adesanya's case who has about 12 pounds he can gain walks around, wakes up about 193. He can go all the way up to 205. He can gain this weight, but has elected openly not to. That part's the experiment. He has openly elected to go fight another guy at the end of the night under the unified rules, for up to 25 minutes. Oh, and by the way, the other guy just happens to be a bigger guy. Anybody else through history, or even logically thinking, would try to get as close to that 205 pounds as they can. I'm very in for that experiment, because guys, we do know it is not a size advantage. It's called a size advantage, but throughout time, it has always been a size disadvantage. The hardest guy to wrestle was from one weight class below you. The hardest guy to box is one weight class below you. The hardest guy to fight is one weight class below you. That size isn't enough for the tipping point to take place. It is just enough to make sure, as a built-in feature, that he's a little bit faster than you. Nothing you could do about it. He's going to be a little bit faster because he's 12 pounds less. He can also hop around on his feet and go a little bit closer to the 25 minutes, still feeling great than you can, meaning his conditioning is just going to stretch a little bit longer. But those are just built-in pieces of logic. Now, of course, you could come back and go, yes, but the power, well, the power was Blahovich anyway. It wouldn't matter if Adesanya gained that weight or not. And they call him the Polish hammer for good reason. If he hits you, it's going to hurt you badly. And Blahovich only needs to land one punch, and he's got 25 minutes to do it. So I think it's a big gamble on my part to pick Adesanya. I do. I think that's a very big gamble. Knowing that Blahovich only has to hit him once, I think that Adesanya is so tricky that he will frustrate Blahovich. When you get frustrated in a fight, that's when you start doing things and taking shots and swinging for the fences when it's not there. When you start doing what we call throwing air balls. You don't do that until you're frustrated. Until the guy's already tricked you two or three times, need you in the ribs, and shut one of your eyes. Now you're frustrated. 
Now you're pissed off and now you just start swinging, which is exactly what the guy that hurt you in the first place is waiting for you to do. That's where you can start to get picked apart. And we really saw that on good display just in Adesanya's last fight. But when Adesanya started to frustrate Paulo Costa, that's when things unraveled very quickly. So I think that you're going to have something very special here. Because I do think you're going to have a stand-up fight where Adesanya is going to play one game, which is get to the target as often as I can, as quickly as I can. That's a rare game. Most guys will do those same ingredients, except they're going to add get there as hard as I can. I don't think Adesanya is thinking hard at all. I don't think he's thinking power at all. I think he's thinking I need to touch this guy and I need to touch him as often as I can and then get out of the way so that he doesn't touch me. If I'm right, and that is what Adesanya plans to do, and moreover, Adesanya can go out and execute, he's going to frustrate Blahovich. Many people are very light on the idea. Adesanya is the favorite right now. But many people are very light on the idea that he can knock out Blahovich. I agree with you to put Blahovich asleep or unconscious is unlikely. But to get a TKO where you've hit him so many times and frustrated and got him to the point of the exhaustion that he can no longer continue is very, very realistic within 25 minutes. Now, I don't have to go that far in my prediction by way of TKO, by way of decision. I don't have to go that far, and therefore I'm not. But I will give you in my final analysis, Israel Adesanya will be the light heavyweight champion of the world. That's my thoughts on Saturday's main event, which I can't wait for. If you head over to my YouTube channel, check out my other videos about Izzy Adesanya and Blahovich, which I believe is one of the biggest fights of my lifetime. Now let's turn our attention to Saturday's co-main event, and that is, of course, Amanda Nunes taking on Megan Anderson. Whenever we start talking about Amanda, don't we start getting very lazy? Don't we start saying lazy things like, she's the greatest ever, and then you just try to prove that point? She's the greatest ever because she's better than Ronda because or she's the greatest ever, and she's better than Cyborg because or she's better than uh, Gina Carano, and she's better because we just start telling a resume. And not only are we stating the obvious, it's also a very lazy approach. The question is, who's going to win on Saturday under the unified rules at 145 pounds between Amanda Nunes and Megan Anderson? And when you start to break that match down for the X's and O's, you start to see a few very positive signs for Megan. Megan, and I'll go in order because there's three things, but first off, she can take a punch. Second, she can give a punch. And third, she meets the weight. Very few ladies have ever been in there with Amanda that weigh 145 pounds. They just weighed in at featherweight. They didn't actually weigh featherweight. A lot of them got 139 pounds, 142 pounds. Megan works with a nutritionist and Tyler Minton to get her weight off so that she can even make the weight. She's a big gal. And when you have a big gal on a big frame who's long, who's lean, who knows how to move around, who knows how to use it, now you're starting to talk not only about power, but about somebody who can deal with power. And Amanda has overwhelmed everybody she's ever fought. Flat overwhelmed them. Backs them up, walks them down. They can't go any further because the fence is there. Boom, and she will put you out or she will hurt you very bad in the process. The only one to be able to stand up to those shots has been the Iron Lady, but you saw at what cost. You saw the wearing and the fatigue of the Iron Lady. That's okay, but that's a lesson. That's a lesson to take away, and that's a lesson for Megan Anderson. Don't get trapped against the fence. She's going to come at me hard, right? If you're Megan Anderson, you know Amanda's going to come at me hard, but she's going to come at me hardest with her hands. I got to worry about those feet. Yeah, she's got some knee issues, but she's going to come hard with those hands and she's going to do it early. She's going to do it in that first round. So if Megan can move, if Megan can stick, if Megan can back Amanda up, one thing that no girl has ever done or even tried to do is to back up Amanda. But it would seem as going forward that Amanda, somebody who isn't wrestling heavy, could be very problematic for Amanda. It's a guess. What's going to happen is a guess. Generally, not a lot of great things come from power strikers when they're moving backwards. But it's a guess at this point because we don't have anybody who's done it. Even Holly Holman, Holly's known for standing her ground. Holly 
went laterally. She didn't go forward and back Amanda up. I think something that could be used and utilized largely just because of the physical size of Megan is to walk the champ backwards. Keep your own back on the fence. Want to know a great way of doing that? Put Amanda's back on the fence. And I realize that we're going to have regurgitated to us numerous times prior to this fight. If Megan can just take her down. Well, she can just take her down. I will concede with you. However, I don't bring that into my analysis or anything else into my analysis unless I have a piece of history to point me in that place. If I could take several fights where Amanda was taken down, or I could even bring you several fights where Megan Anderson had this big George St. Pierre style double leg to take her opponent off her feet, then we, we would turn to that. But essentially, it's a very basic fight to understand. Two brutes who meet the weight limit, who like to punch and kick in front of everything else. One of them is going to move better, and one of them is going to hit and, and, and kick more. And we're going to have our answer to this in the very first round. If Megan Anderson does not win the first round, do not make believe that she's going to come win two, three, four, and drag out a decision by the time the fifth is over. Nobody is going to beat Amanda that doesn't win the very first round. Okay, newsflash. You need to get Amanda's respect. You need to take in charge of the octagon, and you need to do it within the first five minutes. Otherwise, it's not going to be done, and that's okay. Your name will go down with a lot of other greats who tried. But Megan has the opportunity, and Megan can take a shot, and that is one thing that many people have underestimated. Go, wow, so can Amanda can take a shot. I understand that, but Amanda makes people wilt. She makes them buckle. To wilt and buckle Megan is going to be a new challenge. If Megan can keep her back off the fence and moreover put Amanda's on it, there's a very good chance that you're going to be surprised. And don't, don't forget, guys, a win over Amanda Nunes doesn't just mean you take the belt. If you go 25 minutes, that's win number one. Win number one, you go into a very rare club. If you can win a round, you go into a very rare, rare club that only one other athlete is in. If you can win two rounds, you will be in a club that only three athletes are in. So it's one of these interesting things that there's moral victories out there, but they're not just within the athlete. And I know that Megan Anderson isn't getting to default to a moral victory. I'm sharing with us as the viewer. We need to have our, our, our eyes a little bit more open. And we need to have our minds a little bit more open. There's a gap between Amanda and everybody else. But every time that Amanda fights, if you sit back and you study just the footage, just the ideals, just getting a look at the blueprints, what to do and moreover what not to do, you, you can start to close that gap. And it will close quicker than not. I do suggest for you, we're going to see something new. I will also concede for you, it's not going to be a champion. We're going to have the same champion, but we're going to see something new. There will be an exploitation somewhere within this fight, somewhere within those 25 minutes. It's going to take a trained eye. But that is what we really need to be looking forward to when Megan takes on Amanda. The third and final title fight Saturday, Peter Young versus Aljamain Sterling in a bantamweight contest. Okay, here's my final prediction. You know what? I'm taking Aljo. I'm taking Aljo. Here's the thing with Aljo. And you'll hear fighters that, uh, you know, some nights they're great and sometimes they're not so great. There's two fighters. We, we've heard that said about many people over time. At worst, I've seen Aljo look good. And at best, I have seen him look great. I've never seen Sterling look bad. And on the nights that were a surprise or even that he lost, I'm not sure Aljo knew fully what he was getting into. Like, I mean, if you go back and you just study history, the only times when Aljo has ever been beat has been an upset. So whether he believed he was better or the people around him believed he was better and told him that and he heard it and took that in there with him, it seems to me there's never been a time where Sterling had problems when Sterling knew ahead of time it was going to be a problem. And I will share with you as a combat athlete, and this could go back to amateur wrestling days all through the pros. If you ever find yourself in a match that's harder than you thought it was going to be, things can unravel quickly. Even if you win, it is not going to be the kind of performance that you were expecting. Things will unravel fast 
when you're confronted with a battle that's harder than you thought it was going to be. Which is great news for Aljo, because he knows exactly what he's getting into. He's getting on with the champion of the world for five rounds. Who's younger? Who's new? So I think when you start to look at what makes Sterling tick, I mean, guys, there's a question and there's a reason as to why Sterling looked so good against Sanhagen. It wasn't just because opportunity was knocking, though that was part of it. Right? Anything in life, if you want more of it, incentivize it. Well, Dana incentivized that fight. Said ahead of time, the winner of Sandhagen, Aljo, will go and fight the winner. Of that time, it was Jan versus Aldo. They hadn't fought yet. But Dana made it a number one contenders match. That was a real incentive. In addition to that, Sandhagen was fright flattening on his feet. He had never been beat, and he was knocking people out with tricks on his feet you hadn't seen before. What did that do? That created an urgency for Jan. I apologize for Aljo. It created an urgency for Aljo to get this thing to the ground. So now he's incentivized, and he's got an urgency. It took him 40 seconds. It was the single most dominant number one contenders match of recent memory. 40-second finish where he was touched a grand total of zero times. I mean, try to beat that, guys. Tell me a number one contenders match that was more dominant than less than 40-second finish inside of the first round. You're never hit once. The question becomes how and why. Was it just a style issue? Was it that Aljo's just so good at taking the back and getting that rear naked choke? Okay, I'll listen to you. I'll listen to you, but you need to listen to me back. When I tell you that historically speaking... Sterling shows up and does his best work when people aren't expecting him to. He appears to be one of those guys that if you can pat him on the back enough and tell him how great he is, just enough, just a little bit too much, that he will slow down. He will start to believe it and it will become a foregone conclusion of success, which then results in defeat. Sterling's an underdog in a fight that he has been chasing, that he has been begging for, that he earned the hard way. And I do think on X's and O's of just all-around mixed martial arts fighter, man, it sure looks to me like like Peter Yan's better. It does. He's more compact. He hits a little bit harder. He can stay in the pocket, and he, he, he refreshes. He can hit that refresh button and start over. He does it a lot. Aljo is a little bit more of a throwback where he is going to come in grappling heavy, but that makes his hands wild. He's not going to stay on bottom and forget about getting him tired. And there's always room for a guy like that. The rules and the nuances have changed over the last 25 years of them setting that octagon up. But one rule and one nuance that's never changed, it worked in 1993 and it works today in 2001. You take a guy down, push him in the fence and pound on him, they are going to call you the winner. Coming up next, I'm going to tell you about Khabib's comments on Islam Makhlchev. But first, a word from DraftKings. UFC 259 is this weekend and is sure to be packed with action with three title fights taking place in one night. DraftKings Sportsbook, the official betting partner of UFC, is putting you at the center of this weekend's title fight with 100 to 1 odds on either fighter landing a punch during the contest. Pick either main event fighter to land a punch during this weekend's UFC 259 bout at DraftKings Sportsbook will give you 100 to 1 odds. Bet just $1 on either fighter to land just one punch. And if that happens, you will cash in $100. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is at DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't worry if MMA isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on basketball, hockey, and so much more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Guys, download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use the promo code CHAIL when you sign up for your turn at $100.00. Turning $1 into $100 if either Izzy or Yawn lands a punch. Guys, can I say that any clearer? Place your bet and watch the fist fly this weekend. 
Use the promo code CHAIL to turn $1 into $100 if either fighter lands a punch for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. This episode of Your Welcome is brought to you by American Giant. Guys, I'm a simple man. I would say that my style is simple and classic. My wife helps me out with that, of course, but I recently found out. In the 1960s, the average American only bought 25 items per year. Today, we average closer to 70 items a year. And despite buying two and a half times more clothes, we only keep them half as long. Can you believe that? This is where American Giant comes in. They believe clothes should be wearable for years. So you don't have to buy more than you need and you don't have to throw them out. I ordered the classic full zip. I got the V-neck tee and a heavyweight long sleeve. And I got to tell you guys, I love them. They're comfortable. They fit good. I get compliments. There's not a lot else that you want in your clothing. And if you're like me and you prefer a classic style that will last beyond the season, I highly recommend American Giant. Not only are you getting quality clothes made to last, but you'll also be supporting a supply chain that's 100% in the USA while also taking a stand for the hardworking people and jobs in U.S. communities. Right now, American Giant is offering to my listeners, that's you, 15% off your first order when you use the promo code CHAIL at AmericanGiant.com. That's american dash giant.com use the promo code chael you're going to get 15 percent off islam makhlchev versus drew dober khabib khabib added a, a little sprinkle on top of this sunday and he came out and said this is khabib speaking about islam makhlchev he said i am more confident on makhlchev becoming champion than I am even in my own retirement. And Khabib has always spoke very highly of Islam. I mean, they're, they're as close as could be. I don't know if that's like a cousin relationship, by the way. I don't know if that's, there's a family blood there or just a guy that they always came up together and Khabib always looked out for him. And I bring that relationship in because it's very special. It's based around something very special. And Makhlchev is awesome. I am more curious, far more curious, in victory. What is Makhlchev going to do? I mean, if, if he thinks he's just going to stand there and let a translator say something for him and walk out and come back before this new cycle's over, which ends promptly at noon on the following Tuesday... And he thinks he's going to step into the Charlie Olives or the Justin Gaethje or that world of top 55 pounders. He's wrong. There is very limited opportunity at 55 right now only because the top five guys are so glaringly established. But if you were to look at Makhlchev and be a little bit more fair, if you were to go look at Makhlchev's record, I don't have it in front of me, but he's roughly 16-1. and one. It's some kind of a nasty, unbelievable record. If you were to be a little more fair to Islam and go see how many people he has called out over the years, how many guys have said no, they refuse to fight him, the boys in the locker room are deathly uh, afraid of him, and the greatest of all time in his friend Khabib is stating he's going to be the future champion. I mean, if you were to look at Islam Makhlchev fairly... Nothing in this sport is fair. That's why I'm dismissing that it will happen. But if you were... Boy, he's got a good argument. I mean, he's got a real good argument. And if somebody comes after him, I mean, to, to explain for you the, the way respect works in this business, okay? You have to respect somebody to help them get something, to want them to get something. Now, a lot of things are just going to happen and you can be little jealous, crusty hater about it. Go ahead. I'm talking about the piece of psychology where it goes the other way. If you respect a guy for something he did, you're going to help him get to where he's trying to go. Let's say Makhlchev comes out of this. And by the way, Drew Dober is no easy night out. And I'm not making believe that he is. I'm speaking about Makhlchev because Khabib put him over. 
But if Makhlchev comes through this and his record's as beautiful as I'm claiming it is off the top of my head of 16-1 and or 17-1 and and Charles Oliveira calls him out, I am going to respect Oliveira, hope that he gets it, and then that's going to continue. I'm going to respect and help Oliveira get whatever he wants after he gets that fight. If Chandler calls out Islam, says, nope, you're next, bring it on. Don't care if nobody knows who you are. Like your record? Not crazy about your cousin. Whatever it is, we'll not only respect Chandler and help him get it, but that will then carry and we will respect and help him to get wherever it is he wants to go. I don't know that anybody of, of Oliveira, of Gaethje status is going to be on the cards. That's why I'm bringing this to your attention. Moklachev is going to have to do something. And it can't be done in social media two days later once he sits down with Google Translate and somebody sends it out. It has to be done there. And because he doesn't speak the language, that's okay. Nobody has ever been graded down for speaking the language because we can't understand you anyway. There's a plenty of English-speaking folks that we just simply don't know what they said between the mouthpiece being in, them being rattled a little bit, not being experts at dialect anyway. The language that we're all going to be looking for and that will be interpreted very simply is that of body language. If Makhlchev looks uninterested, looks uninterested in what it was he just did or uninterested in what he's going to do next, we are going to hear that. We're going to see that. And we're going to follow his lead. If he looks to not have a passion, we will not be passionate about what he's going to do. If he looks to not care, we will also not care. And this is a mistake that is made many times. I see it with the wrestlers the Dagestani wrestlers, the Cuban wrestlers, they're very guilty of this, of wanting to look uninterested. Now, what that really is, is they just have a full focus on what's going on. They're not going to waste any energy smiling or frowning. They're going to put all their energy into the activity. That's just not what the audience sees. And you can get away with that in wrestling because nobody's watching wrestling anyway, and it's in no jeopardy of ever breaking onto television. But I do bring this to you because Makhlchev is playing a a different game. He's flat impressive. Guys don't want to fight him. He doesn't have the ability to do a call-out like Khabib had. So he's going to have an interpreter. What he must know is body language is the one that's going to speak. If he looks passionate, we will be passionate. If he looks like he cares, we will then care. And if he looks dismissive and unenthused, we'll follow him there too. I talked on last Friday's podcast about Jake Paul and Ben Askren, and you guys are clearly interested in this fight, so let me give you some more thoughts about it. Paul and Askren, wow, whoever thought this would be a fight of uh, 2021 to look forward to, right? All the great matches coming up, particularly in March. Great matches coming up in March. This is one of them. It's just one of them, and that compliment goes purely to Paul. He's He's the one that made it interesting, but Paul has some big problems in front of him. And the big problems that he's going to learn are just ones that he's never going to be able to learn listening to me or listening to everybody else. First off, nobody else has told him what I'm about to tell him. But secondly, it it won't. You have to be in the experience. Tell you till I'm blue in the face. Until you're in that experience, you won't know. Look, if you're going to go into boxing, you are going to want, based on logic, to be boxing with the best guys that you can. As high up that scale top 10 ranked guys, if you could find a world champion that you can trust, who isn't going to hurt and exploit you, but is going to move around with you, give you a good look as a way of going into a boxing match, that just makes sense to do, right? Of course it does. That's what Paul is doing. The problem is that Ben Askren is not a boxer. He is a fighter. He is a competitor. He is a winner. He's not a boxer. So if you go in and you're training and preparing and getting yourself mentally and physically ready by guys who are giving you looks of the sweet science, guys that are doing shoulder rolls, heavy with the jab, followed by the cross, slip outside, dig to the body, pivot their feet, rinse and repeat. That's beautiful boxing. That is high level, good boxing. You'll see that in the world championships. You'll see that in the Olympic games, so on and so forth, upwards through the ranks you go. 
That is not what Paul is going to see in the ring with Ben Askren. He is not going to see the feints that he's used to in training for. He's not going to see the placement of the foot inside or outside of the lead leg. Thus telling him, is he coming with a jab? Is he looking to set up a hook? He's not going to see those things. He's not going to see anything. He's going to get swarmed and he's going to get smothered like nobody he's training with. He's training, Paul, I'm talking, is training with guys who know how to box because Paul thinks that he's getting ready to display boxing. He's going to find out when that match starts, I'm not in here with a boxer. I am now dealing with a fighter who is here to compete. There is levels of exhaustion that Paul will reach, should this reach the full eight rounds, that you can never duplicate in practice, but it will be something that Ben Askren is very used to having done. That's the most meaningful difference. And Ben is going to throw shots and they are going to be sloppy and Ben's going to get into a clinch and he's going to pull on the neck and the referee's going to have to break it and then Ben's going to go back and do it again and Paul's all of a sudden not going to know where he is. He's just going to be too exhausted. And it's just one of these things that's very hard to duplicate, but I've seen it with my own eyes. Matt Linlin, come to mind. If you guys followed Matt Linlin's MMA career, okay, if you, if you went back to the time Matt was fighting, then you remember the times that, that Matt had absolutely no hands. And anything, there's memes out there of Ronda Rousey shadow boxing, and they look ugly. Or there's memes out there of Ben Askren shadow boxing, and they look ugly. And possibly nobody more than, than Matt Horwich, my old teammate and friend. But Matt Linlin would come right into that same vein. You'd watch go, man, does this guy know anything about boxing? Okay, I won't disagree with you based on what you saw, but I will share with you things that I saw that there was no cameras around, such as Matt at a boxing gym in Oregon called Grand Avenue the top boxing gym in the Northwest, professional boxers there, and Matt going in and sparring with them. Matt did not know how to box. He did not know how to slip. He didn't know it was a couple jabs and dig to the body, then come back upstairs. He didn't know how to turn his shoulder over. He didn't know all of these things about boxing, even the basics. Matt did not know them. But Matt would go in and spar with top 25 guys Remember a guy, Joe specifically, ranked number 25, heavyweight boxer, 210 pounds, lighter heavyweight, very good, excellent for our area. And Matt would just go in there and swarm him. And it would just be nonstop punches, walking him down, pushing him into the ropes, pulling his neck every chance he got, come back, and all of a sudden, Joe can't stand. Joe's the number 25 ranked heavyweight boxer in the world. Matt Lillen is a 167-pound Greco-Roman wrestler, and Matt broke him. It took him a while, and it was ugly, and it did not look like boxing. Who won that session? Matt Lindley, clearly. Who was the better boxer? Joe. Not even close. But that's one of the differences when you're dealing with these guys who are going to come out and brawl and compete. Ben understands a few things about boxing. He's not coming out to box. He's coming out to fight. And he's coming out to win. And he's a competitor. That's the guy that's going to get his hand raised. The belief that people think is going to be resolved in this battle is to determine who's a better boxer. It's not. It's not. They are contesting attitude. They are contesting grit. They are contesting conditioning under boxing rules. But Ben is not coming out to box. He's not spending his time right now learning how to box. Ben is going to show grit Ben is going to show an understanding of competition through the boxing rules. But he's not coming to box. To close out today's show, I want to give my thoughts on something hilarious that came out over the weekend. Paulo Costa said he had a hangover and was possibly drunk the night he fought Adesanya. So Paulo's got a YouTube page and he did this on his own YouTube page. I went and watched it. He said, what happened? He goes, okay, first off, you have to understand this. We wake up at the hotel to be to the arena at 5 a.m. We're in the ring competing at 9 a.m. local time. He said it had been 24 hours since he got any sleep. And he said his body, I think his legs specifically were cramping. Therefore, he, that's why he couldn't sleep, but that's also why he thought he needed help with sleep, which is why he turned to a bottle of wine. Now, a few things here. 
if you have cramps yet you can't sleep, you're going to be pretty uncomfortable. My relationship with cramps had to do with cutting weight. So I just personally, if I'm right, and that's what he was dealing with, the last thing I would do is want to go to sleep. I'd want to spend those minutes hydrating as best I could to make those cramps go away. But it does seem like he's up against a rock and a hard place. He's got a world championship fight. He knows he needs to get some sleep. He can't sleep because he's in pain. Okay, there's a bottle of wine. Now, I'm not a drinker. I don't know. I wouldn't have any frame of reference as to what a bottle of wine is. But it sounds like a lot of alcohol. And that sounds like, I've seen bottles of wine. You could put water in there. I wouldn't have to get that down. I wouldn't want to have to get down a Coca-Cola of that size. Or thinking, oh, no, I really need to get this down because if I can't, then I don't get to go to sleep. I mean, a tough spot. Somehow he ends up in a tough spot. He drinks the whole bottle of wine. It works. It makes him go to sleep at 2.30 in the morning. means he gets two and a half hours of sleep before he goes and fights for world championship. I believe him. There was no part of this story that sounded like excuse making. There was a part of the story, uh, the entire thing, I would say, that makes him look like a fool, but he's the one telling the story, adding, for me, the credibility of the story. I will tell you guys, I changed my career. I could personalize on what Paulo's talking about here. I changed my career. The Midlands Tournament 2001. Midlands Tournament was said, I think it's been beaten out by the Southern Scuffle now, but it was said to be the toughest collegiate tournament in the world. Harder than the NCAAs. Because all the NCAA guys would come, but so would the guys aspiring for world and Olympic teams. So would the past generations. Very, very tough stuff at the Midlands. I had never slept in my whole life. I didn't know anything about it. My body naturally wakes up, gets endorphins. You'll hear the difference between a, a morning guy, a person or a night person. I thought that was a choice. That was taught to me as a choice my whole life. Which do you prefer? I didn't know that it is actually scientifically based and you have no mental say in it whatsoever. Your body has something known as endorphins that get released one time in the day. If they get released, like most of the population, in the morning, you're going to feel good in the morning. And as those endorphins die out, that's when you fall asleep. I had the opposite. I had no endorphins all day long that I get my spike around 9 p.m. So I'm high on life. I'm happy as can be. That's when I would do my best work studying for tests, getting exercises, being social and talking to my friends. But it was right around that midnight 1 a.m. where the rest of the world's trying to fall asleep. So I didn't know how to combat this. I didn't know what to do. Sure didn't think to drink a bottle of wine, so what do I, I just stayed up. I just, screw, I'm just going to enjoy the time that I like to enjoy, and morning is going to have to pay the price for it. But it never really seemed to, to matter with me personally. It really never seemed to matter if I slept three hours or if I slept seven hours. In terms of, excuse me, when that alarm goes off <clears throat> at six in the morning, I was tired. I mean, I had to get through a shower. I had a morning system. I'm sure a lot of you guys can relate to this. But then when you have to go and compete all day long in really hard competitions and you're doing it asleep, it's affecting your performance. But I didn't know that. I did not know that at 21 years old because I had no frame of reference of the opposite. Every day of my life, that's what my life was. I thought everybody lived their life exhausted at all times. I had no idea about these people that weren't always tired. I had never, no coffee, I don't know if Red Bull or Monster Energy was even a thing back then. Point was, I was just used to being tired. So I got to this Midlands tournament. And the way wrestling tournaments looked for me, I did not warm up for wrestling matches. And I would sleep in between every single session. My mom would come to each event, every tournament, whatever arena. I would go and let her know where I'm going to be in case I missed the announcement. That that means come and wake me up. That never happened. I never did miss an announcement. But if, and I would just sleep. And then I'd go have a match and I'd go back and I'd sleep. By the time the tournament was over, I had six matches. I had about six hours of sleep. Now it's 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night again. I'm wide awake. Thus repeating the cycle. And I would only eat what you could eat at the venues. Which meant largely I was going to tournaments with no sleep, having no warm up and eating a hot dog. And it got to be where I would throw up after wrestling matches and I couldn't figure out why. I'd be so tired and so exhausted. I'd be throwing Disgusting. I didn't want to do it anymore. And I remember specifically where I was at the Midlands tournament. I go, here's what I'm going to do. And it started the night before the tournament. Just purely as an experiment, I'm going to go to bed at 10 o'clock. 
I'm going to turn all the lights out, turn off all the noise. I will lay there even if I'm awake, but I'm not going to move from 10 o'clock until 6 a.m. when the alarm goes off. I get to the tournament. I go, I'm going to try something else just as an experiment. I'm not going to eat that junk anymore. No more hot dogs for me. I will either eat fruit or nothing. I will fast all day, but no, no more of those hot dogs. And the third thing that I was going to try was warming up. I somewhere along the way thought perhaps I'm warming up because I'm going from zero to 60 in such a short period of time. What if I warm up, get my heart rate up, get it to 140, 145, get a good sweat going, take my shirt off, then walk out there on the mat. And I will tell you, shining my own wheels here, but I'm very proud of that tournament. I received an award for that tournament. I won the college portion. We did have two open level guys that came back. They got first, second. I ended up third. But to get third, I had to beat three All-Americans, two of which were NCAA finalists. It was just one of these days where I wrestled very well. And so as soon as this tournament was over, I did reconcile with myself, good night's sleep, very helpful. Warming up, very helpful. And eating a few of the right foods, not just smashing down a hot dog because the concession stand is the only thing open and that's all they, they were serving. In many ways, it did change my athletic career, though, at least performance-wise. I don't know that I went on and won any more matches, but it, I sure won them in different ways. I win matches that maybe was going to be 8-6, and all of a sudden I got it 9-1. Same outcome, but easy. I, I felt better. Not going and throwing up. I mean, that just puts you in the bad mood, you know, right to start with. Start your day off on the wrong foot. But actually having energy, not having to take naps in between sessions. Instead, I could sit and study my opponents. I could sit and look at brackets and see what the guy from Illinois is up to. See what the cowboy from Oklahoma State's doing over here in case we run into each other later. Is one of these things that might sound small. Made a big deal in my life, made a big deal in my career and my approach to competition. So I, when I do read that Adesanya did something he wasn't used to doing, that would not surprise me that he will then go out there and get a result that he's not used to getting. And there was something about that performance that was off. I would have no problem Paula Costa losing to Izzy Adesanya. But as fans, we want to see Adesanya who's now put himself in the best environment for victory versus Adesanya. Two athletes who have put themselves in the best environment for success, and then they go compete. Yeah, I think when, I think when one of them was hungover, in addition to cramped and in addition to getting a good night's sleep, look, I understand that reasons and excuses become fine lines. I'm not trying to give you a reason or an excuse. I'm telling you a story the way that he told it. I just happened to listen to Paulo's story, and I personally happen to believe it. Alright guys, that is it for today's show. If you liked it, do me a favor. Head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review of the show. Good or bad, it really helps. I've got another brand new podcast coming. It'll drop on Friday, but until then, I'm Chael Sonnen and you are welcome.